Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie, good to be with you. We got a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day with me, Carrie Anthelis, publisher, editor of crimestory.com, Oscar and Emmy winner, very smart guy. I had the privilege of being on his show not too long ago. We're gonna chop it up about that and more. Also, in the bullpen, my debate segment, we have Christopher Bernard, commentator for Young Voices. He wants to debate me about voting rights in the United States of America. Should be fun. Top story of the day, it's on and popping. NFL, once again, in the spotlight for racism. Let's be very clear, racism exists and permeates in the NFL, it does. Brian Flores has sued the NFL, recently fired Dolphins head coach. Mr. Flores has filed a lawsuit against the NFL and his franchises over the league's racist hiring practices. The suit claims the NFL remains rife with racism, particularly when it comes to the hiring and retention of black head coaches, coordinators and general managers. A situation that has only been made worse by the NFL's disingenuous commitment to social equity. Flores filed the suit in the Southern District of New York as a proposed case class action on Tuesday, timing it for the first day of Black History Month. There you go, that's how you do it, all right, make it memorable. Here's the reality, the reality is he is now speaking on behalf of many black coaches who are not willing, they may feel they are not able to say what everyone knows. Now, let me give some background to the Colin Kaepernick situation. I want you to remember this, understand how racist the NFL can be. They decided to blacklist, no pun intended, Colin Kaepernick for doing what? For doing something that had nothing to do with football, for taking a knee. Well, when you see the headlines that say Colin Kaepernick takes a knee, criticized for taking a knee. You gotta understand, it wasn't because Colin Kaepernick took a knee. It wasn't the knee, it was non-aggressive, it was a peaceful protest, but it wasn't because of the knee. You see, if Colin Kaepernick would have taken a knee to bring awareness to cancer research in the United States of America, nobody would complain. If Colin Kaepernick would have taken a knee to bring attention to domestic violence within the NFL, nobody would have complained. Colin Kaepernick had the audacity to take a knee for black and brown folks in the United States of America, particularly against police brutality. It is not about Colin Kaepernick taking a knee, it was what he took a knee for. And what does the NFL do? What is their response? Their response is to recruit a rapper, to recruit Jay-Z, who then took concert money to give to other nonprofit organizations that had nothing to do with why Colin Kaepernick took a knee. And then Jay-Z holds a press conference of sorts, a conversation. And he tells black people, it's time to move on from taking a knee. This was orchestrated by the NFL, their executive management, and the owners. And it worked quite well, by the way, because now we're thinking the NFL is actually doing something over the protest of Colin Kaepernick, when the truth is they have donated 0.000006% of their annual revenue to causes that have nothing to do with why Colin Kaepernick took a knee in the first place. And they are calling it, this is our social justice fund. Be happy, take a smile, tap, dance and leave. 
Flores was fired on January 10th, one day after his team beat the Patriots and wrapped up a 9-8 season. The coach overachieved in Miami, so his firing caught the public off guard. Ownership for its part cited a high rate of assistant coach turnover on the Flores staff. Now remember, they always got the narrative ready. So please believe every time something like this happens, there's a narrative ready to go. Don't be surprised by that move, it's common. According to the lawsuit, Coach Flores knew he was not going to be seriously considered for the New York Giants job, despite having a January 27th interview scheduled because his former colleague, Bill Belichick accidentally texted him a congratulatory message intended for another applicant who already was assured of the job. Despite the fact that Coach Flores had an upcoming interview, oops. So here's what the NFL said, NFL releases a statement, all right? The NFL says, the NFL and our clubs are deeply committed to ensuring equitable employment practices and continue to make progress in providing equitable opportunities throughout our organizations. Diversity is core to everything we do. And there are few issues on which our clubs and our internal leadership team spend more time. We will defend against these claims which are without merit. All right, as my grandmother would say to the NFL, use a damn lie. Oh, It has plenty of merit. One statistical company broke down the NFL African Americans in the National Football League in 2019. The percentages are broken down by role as of 2019, roughly 60% of African Americans in the NFL were the players themselves. This number has now grown to 70% after 2020, that number still holds today. So you have a league that's roughly made up of 70% African American players. The National Law Review had this to say, a Fortune 500 company with the same hiring practices as many NFL teams would almost certainly already have had multiple major lawsuits against it under anti-discrimination laws such as Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. This begs the question then of what a potential race discrimination glass ceiling case against an NFL team would look like. Now, there's another data set that's important to analyze in this story. Because some of the pushback has been, well, we need more qualified black coaches. We need a bench, we need a field of qualified black coaches. That's the reason why the head coach number is so low for black people. It's about the credentials and the experience. Approximately 35 to 40% of NFL assistant coaches are black. There's your bench. A team can select its head coach not just from within the organization, but from other NFL and or college teams. So the pool of qualified black candidates for a particular NFL team is broader than its own assistant coaches. News just broke while we were prepping for the show that not only was Flores offered to throw games. He was offered $100,000 per game to lose games so that it could qualify the team to be in a better draft position. But other coaches were asked the same. There will be more coaches, black coaches in particular, who join this lawsuit. Um, Kara, what are your thoughts on this? 
Um, I absolutely agree that the NFL has a big problem. The NFL, it's the best of times and the worst of times in the NFL because they there's never been a more competitive NFL season. The playoffs have been tremendously exciting, and yet they're in the they're mired in problems with racial issues. Um, I think you know if you look at the audience of the NFL, it's it's something close to 36% black. Um, it, it, it is a, by a f- wide majority, um, it, it's, it's predominantly people of color who are the NFL fans. And yet the owners are, vast majority of the owners are Trump supporters. They're conservative, they're uh, probably, you know, you can make an argument they're white supremacists. And so Roger Goodell, has this balancing act to do between public perception and these owners who are his taskmasters. Mm. He gets $50 million a year for doing it. It's it's a big mess. And I think we saw the fruits of some of that in the firing of John Gruden from his sportscaster position in the revelation of his texts and emails and in what appears to be a cover up of the actions and comments of Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington football team and a double standard that seems to apply. Yeah, we're gonna continue to follow this story. It is developing, this will be a massive, more massive story next week than it is this week in my opinion. I think more people are going to speak up now. It always takes that first domino brother, that first domino in order to create a chain reaction for justice to prevail. Let me highlight a United States Congressman who was down with terrorism as long as it's the white domestic kind. We're talking about good old Madison Cawthorn. He is now suing the North Carolina State Board of Elections after voters allege he is ineligible for reelection because he was involved in the terrorist attack on January 6th. Here's some of that video. The founders of our great country saw to it that the people who consent to be governed should have a voice in that government. The Democrats with all the fraud they have done in this election, the Republicans hiding and not fighting. Make no mistake about it, they do not want you to be heard. But my friends, when I look out this crowd, I can confidently say, This crowd has the voice of lions. There's a new Republican party on the rise that will represent this country, that will go and fight in Washington, D.C. And at 12 o'clock today, we will be contesting the election. Bear in mind, there is a significant portion of our party that says we should just sit idly by and sit on our hands. They have no backbone. But my friends, we're not doing this just for Donald Trump. We are doing this for the Constitution. Our Constitution was violated. My friends, I encourage you, go back to your states after today. Hold your representatives accountable. Make sure that they stood up for election integrity and make your voices heard. Once again, another politician who won't bust the soft side of a grape, but he will encourage others to do so. Here's the thing, you know, the Constitution says, hey, you know, if you try to overthrow the government, if you try to overthrow democracy, 
You can't run for office, you cannot hold office. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what it says. A month after January 6th, that same elected representative was in an interview with Carlos Waston. And on the show, when asked about his speech and the terrorist attack, he had this to say, I don't regret it, actually. Obviously, I think what happened on January 6th was despicable. I thought it was conducted by weak-minded men and women who are unable to check their worst impulses and had very little self-control. Despite what happened on January 6th, Cawthorn still voted to contest the results of the election for Wisconsin. He was, however, it was, however, accepted. In an interview with CNN's Pamela Brown, roughly two weeks after January 6th, he also acknowledged the election was no fraudulent, was not fraudulent. This is a recap of that, all right? Cawthorn, who filed for candidacy in the state's 13th congressional district last month, spoke at a rally that day in front of the White House before rioters stormed the Capitol. Then President Donald Trump, whose speech headlined that rally, urged attendees to march to the Capitol, told them to be strong and said that you'll never take back our country with weakness. While he may have skirted any real apology like most of the GOP, the 11th North Carolina voters, the 11 North Carolina voters were not going to let it stand and filed a legal challenge, all right? I think they have good standing for this legal challenge to disqualify him from running. North Carolina voters moving to block Cawthorn's reelection bid cited section three of the 14th Amendment of the US Constitution, which prohibits public officials from holding office if they have engaged in insurrection or rebellion. There you have it. Against the United States, a challenge to Cawthorn's candidacy was filed January 10th on behalf of the 11 voters before the State Board of Election. So his lawsuit filed on Monday denies that he participated in any Insurrection or rebellion and maintains he is eligible to run for office under state law. The lawsuit also disputes the assertion that under the 14th Amendment, he is ineligible for candidacy because of his involvement in the January 6th terrorist attack. The suit also argues that the challenge is not based on reasonable suspicion and violates his right to run for office. Running for political office is quintessential. First Amendment activity and afforded great protection, the lawsuit said. Obviously, he's being represented by a Republican surrogate. And this is going to be quite interesting because the judge involved is a Trump appointee. Now, listen, clear cut, just follow the rules, follow the law, follow the Constitution. None of these cats who were involved on that January 6th terrorist attack. Uh, or in that January 6th terrorist attack should run for office. They should not have the ability to run for office. That's based on the wording of the Constitution, all right? But we know this, the rules are not equally applied. They are not being held accountable to the fullest extent of the law nor the Constitution. And Cawthorn is likely to win this challenge in a court of law. My brother, what are your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, I think Madison Cawthorn was created in a Trumpy test tube. <laughs> um, he, he was he was a handpicked successor to Mark Meadows in that district in North Carolina. He was uh, he he has allegations of sexual misconduct in his background. He even used his own personal tragedy that left him 
in a wheelchair to his own advantage by allegedly lying about the circumstances of that accident. Now, with respect to his lawsuit against the North Carolina Board of Elections, I think it's sort of a dress rehearsal for what Trump is going to do if he's convicted of or accused by the January 6th committee of participating and being instrumental to the to the January 6th uprising terrorist attack, as you call it. And so while while Cawthorn's involvement is slightly more remote than Trump's involvement, I think that all of this is a dress rehearsal for the for the the challenges that are going to be made of Donald Trump when he tries to run for president again in 2024. Yeah, and likely because of how many appoint appointments Trump was able to get for federal judges, the case will fall right in front of a judge he appointed himself. Okay, <clears throat> there's a cop who got two years for physically attacking, for hitting a kneeling protester, a protester who was doing nothing aggressive to the cop, was kneeling at the time he gets two years. Let's put up his picture. Former Louisville Metro police officer has been sentenced to federal prison after admitting to hitting a protester in the head with the baton during the Breonna Taylor protest. Now, I want you to think about the extreme evil and irony here. Literally, this is a protest about police misconduct, police brutality, the violation of citizen and civil rights. And during this protest, this cop decided to physically assault a protester who was kneeling. He has been given two years, prosecutor wanted more. Let me give you some background to this story. The US District Court Judge Rebecca Grady Jennings sentenced Evans to two years in prison. Evans also will be on probation for two years following release and he will have to pay $1,962.85 to the victim. Evans, who resigned from the Louisville Metro Police Department last June, faced up to four years in prison. Body camera video played in court during Evans sentencing hearing on Tuesday shows the victim on his knees with his hands in the air before Evans struck him with his baton. The incident happened on May 31st, 2020 at the intersection of Brook Street and Broadway while police were following a group of people causing chaos. According to their report, initially Evans told a supervisor that the victim injured himself by falling off a chain link fence and hitting his head on the concrete. Once again, that was a lie in the police report. That is a crime, many jurisdictions consider it to be a felony. However, they choose typically choose not to prosecute. Evans said during the hearing, quote, I was embarrassed by what I did. I was tired, I was broken, I wanted to be home with my family. That's the excuse he gives for violating the public trust and physically assaulting a protester who posed no danger. Okay, they wanted the maximum. So the prosecutor wanted the full penalty here. The judge decided, you know, because you've had such a great background, Mr. Corrupt Ass Police, because you've had such a great background and no criminal record, we're going to go light on you. You see, I actually think it should be the opposite. 
I think if you are a police officer, you should be held to a higher standard of responsibility. For example, a medical doctor. A medical doctor is held to a higher standard of care. A psychiatrist, a psychologist, they are held to a higher standard of care. College professors, we are held to a higher standard of responsibility. All of a sudden when it comes to police, they are routinely held to a lower standard than the common citizen. What are your thoughts? You know, um, I, I'm reminded of something that Judge Timothy Walmsley said in his sentencing of the McMichaels and particularly the McMichaels in the trial of the men who killed Ahmaud Arbery. And he said, we need to reflect on what it means to be a neighbor. Now, when, when these police officers are overseeing protests of police brutality, they need, I, I, I agree that an example needs to be set because these police officers need to understand that they're there to protect the people that are protesting, not to combat with them. Sure. They're not there to beat them, they're there to protect them. And so I agree that examples should be set because this man abused his position and violated a fundamental part of his oath. So some sense that he never inflicted and he'd never committed any kind of crime before he had a clean record. That, that there, there's a, an impurity of approach to his job that needs to be recognized in the sentencing. Very well said. All right, we got more on the other side is indisputable stick and stay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're going to feel great. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Back to you all. I don't care what you say. It's none of your business. First of all, Yeah, this may be a throwback Karen, but classic Karenicity exists. Let's dissect what it means. A common line is in this country, and then they start citing the Constitution. Well, you know, the Constitution, the part you're citing, actually applies to everybody. So just like you have the right to say what you're saying, the person who's saying they don't like what you're saying because you sound ridiculous saying it has a constitutional right to say it too. That's how the constitution works. I am somewhat perplexed as to why her son or whoever was there did not intervene and try to stop her from committing an actual crime. You see, this is when it goes from the constitutionally protected thing, which is your verbal speech, to the criminal thing, which is physical assault. And in her mind, she's well within the confines of the law and the constitution. 
because the other person is not deserving of her respect. All right, what do you see here? The privilege to me is unreal. Uh, absolutely, um, I would like to ask you a question, Dr. Sure. Ritchie, about it. Um, this use of the word, the name Karen to yes. Uh, to to um, label white what uh, white privileged females, which is basically what these people are. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm married to a woman named Karen, um, and uh, my I'm a constitu- constituent of Karen Basses here in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if there's any conversation about. Renaming people white privileged females as WPFs or some other name other than Karen because of all the Karens who are sympathetic to the cause and to the issues at stake, but who are stigmatized by that phrase. Hell no, not for me. Uh, They will be called Karens on this show. Let me tell you why, brother. Uh, First of all, since the 18th century in the United States of America, we've had various terminologies to represent meddlesome individuals, um, such as Debbie Downers, we've had Becky, we've had even in my culture, uh, they've said Tyrone, etc. We have utilized these terms and we have understood what they meant, they're pejoratives, all right? Now, an individual who happens to be named Karen, I have friends that are named Karen. One of my best friends, her name is Karen, right? But she's not a Karen. So she doesn't get upset because of the name Karen. She understands how it was utilized in the context of our social and our language, in our language lexicon. I don't find it, I don't find it necessarily racist when somebody says Karen. I know that's the pushback sometimes. Yeah, I'm not saying that. Just to be clear, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that it's racist. I'm just saying that it creates a stigma for people who've had that name for. I mean, it's it's a name that's completely gone out of fashion, but there are a number of people in their 50s that have it mm-hmm. and who are stigmatized by it. And I just wondered what you're. I, I, I'm and you're telling me your thoughts on it. And I oh yeah, absolutely. It. I'm going to always tell you my thoughts, brother. Like, like there will be absolutely. Uh, no restriction on that. And I appreciate you bringing it up because I actually talk about it often on my radio show and sometimes on social media. We have had a list of about 20 plus names during different eras that represent meddlesome people. If you look at the history of my show, all of my Karens are not white, obviously. It really speaks to a privilege. All of my Karens aren't even women. Uh, many of them are men who exude a type of privilege that says, I deserve to be here and you do not. Well, it's a catch all phrase, right? Um, I did not hear people complain, at least not to the level I hear about Karen's, when folks call someone a Debbie Downer, right? Um, We've had these terminologies for a very long time in the United States of America. And now because of the tribalism involved in my, my opinion, the tribalism involved in the political conversation and the racial conversation, all of a sudden there's a significant pushback from some. But here's what's interesting, there was a recent study done, it was about a year ago, that showed that 91% of Karens do not mind the fact that people are called Karens because they're not Karens, they understand it. So the vast majority of those who are actually named Karen are not adversarial to the use of it because they understand what it's used for. Okay. All right, we cool on that? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I haven't changed my opinion, but I, what's I your respect opinion? yours. 
Well, you want me to my, rename them? What? No, 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 no. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want you to do anything. I mean, okay. it's a cultural phenomenon, well beyond you. You didn't create the term. You didn't right. like, you know, you're using it. I'm just calling attention to the fact that it is, you know, it, it, it it's, it's stigmatizing. And I think there are other more productive ways of, of, of. You know, Debbie Downer has the downer on the end of it. And I, I don't think that like if I was, you know, named particularly as a guy named Carrie, who is um often thought to be a, a woman, I'm like sensitive to name, you know, I'm I'm reminded of that Saturday Night Live script where the guys where where Nicolas Cage was named Oswipe and 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 when you read that it doesn't sound like Oswipe it sounds mm-hmm. something like some uh, something we can't really say on the air I, I I'm 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 just conscious of the power of words to stigmatize and um and just wanted to bring it to your attention you know who I think your beef with your beef is with your beef is with the original Karen whoever the hell that is the original Karen started this whole thing. Listen, I'm not turning the the social ties of this because I can actually appreciate that there's one term that I can say in America and everybody knows what the hell I'm talking about and it's called a Karen, all right? So I apologize to your lady and anybody that you know that may be offended by their term. I'm not gonna stop using it, all right? All right. Okay, Um, there's an Iowa school where parents are suing because of a racist video. This is at Pleasant Valley in Iowa. They're suing the school district over a racist video involving local students. Let's put up a picture of the Pleasant Valley High School. It looks like a nice high school. I mean, that's a beautiful school. TV6 News reported that Pleasant Valley parents have filed a lawsuit against the school district, the Board of Education, the Pleasant Valley superintendent and the principal of the high school over a racially offensive video posted two years ago by two students to TikTok. Let's put a picture up of the superintendent, okay? Brian Struss. Now, let's put a picture up of the principal, Derek Erickson. What does the video show? The video shows two white teenagers, one of whom is dressed in a blackface mask while the other pretends to beat him. The video goes along to background music and music that repeats racial slurs. In the end, the teenager pretends to shoot the one in blackface execution style. This was on TikTok, it was on social media. Now parents of a black Pleasant Valley student are suing for emotional damage after they say the student was made aware of the video. According to the petition filed on January 18th, the video was originally posted in January of 2020. The lawsuit does not state where it was actually recorded. It gets deeper. The petition says that the school was completely aware of the video at the time. It was originally posted, but did not inform parents until it was reposted in December of 2021. It claims that by failing to notify parents of its existence, it prevented them from being able to protect their children from the racial insensitivity that followed. The 21 page document states that two students involved in the video, they are still attending the high school. 
and claims that they received no penalty for their actions in the video. The lawsuit says the video depicts a hate crime under Iowa law. And based on my reading of Iowa law, I think it sticks. The petition goes on to say that the school failed to provide a safe environment for students by not giving a punishment for the video. It further states that the child of the plaintiff suffered fear of immediate physical harm and or injury because of the video. Now once again, once again, we're highlighting the story of extreme racism inside of a school system. Remember, right here on Indisputable, we've covered multiple stories of black children who have committed suicide because not just because of racism, but because of the school district's inability or unwillingness to respond to it. Other black students have attempted suicide, and there are some who actually did it because of racism. Now, once again, very similar circumstances where the school system decided not to hold them accountable. Kara, what are your thoughts on this? It's another example of, of an environment that is a recipe for violence, hatred, genocide. Now, if you look, looking back at this area, looking back at the trial of the McMichaels and Brian, you had these, these two men, the McMichaels, who jumped to the conclusion that uh, that the, uh, that uh, Ahmaud Arbery was an intruder in their neighborhood. You had Roddy Bryan on his porch say, you got him as the McMichaels drove their truck after Ahmaud Arbery and then joined the chase. And it's this mindset that's created that any black human being that is in a white neighborhood like Satilla Shores or like Pleasant Valley is Worthy of being chased out of that neighborhood, and if they're non-compliant, killed. Mm. That's the, 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 you see the seeds of tragedy in a video like that. Yeah, I agree. All right, we got more on the other side. Is indisputable stick and stay. There's a cop who punches a woman inside of the police car who's handcuffed, he then gets fired and he sues the department because he says, no, they fired me because I'm black. I done seen it all, here's the video. I really didn't threaten him, but that's fine if you feel that I threatened him. I'll answer all your questions. Document your threat, can you please document your threat? Cuz I never made a threat, like seriously? No, seriously. Okay, well, can Ms. Shelby come confirm her threat? Because I did not make a threat. Hey, no, please talk okay. to me, please. Okay. I did not make a threat. Okay. How are you going to arrest me and I did not make a threat? What we're going to do is we're going to take you down to precinct. How are you going to take me down to precinct and I didn't even make a threat? You need to calm down. I'm calm. You're trying to de-escalate here. You're, you're, you're escalating this by... If you continue to watch that video, she clearly says, I did not kick you. She was insinuating she made no physical contact with the officer. Let's put up a picture of what happened to her. Let's put her picture up. Her name is Miss Bosley. Okay. Her face was actually fractured. 
she had multiple fractured bones in her face. She sued, the city actually settled with her for about $200,000. Let's put up a picture of the cop who was fired. His name is Officer Shepard. Officer Shepard says he was simply fired because he was black, not because he committed a violent act inside of the police cruiser. Here's what's ironic, he's probably right on both. <laughs> he's probably right on both, okay? Because we've seen cops get away with doing things like that with for doing worse, to be frank. So let's give, uh, give some background to this. According to the Seattle Times, the former police officer Adley Shepard was terminated because he punched a handcuffed woman in the face in 2014. Shepard filed a lawsuit that alleges the Seattle Police Department was negligent in his training and supervision and unfair in his dismissal because he is black. But let me say this, this guy doesn't need to be a cop, all right? He doesn't need to be a police officer. What he did was completely uncalled for, should have never happened. The city has settled, he has been fired. He's damn lucky he's not getting a criminal charge. In another jurisdiction, he would likely be facing a criminal charge. In his lawsuit filing, Officer Shepard stated he threw the punch after he reacted to Ms. Bosley kicking him in the face. And that he did everything he could to deescalate the situation that arose due to a tense domestic dispute between the woman and her partner. The lawsuit alleges that his firing was motivated by politics and public opinion. A video of the incident caused public outrage. O'Toole claimed that because of the video, she imposed punishment that went beyond what would be leveled in similar instances where questionable force was used. The lawsuit also states that aside from a 10 day suspension, Shepard had a clean record and that the decision amounted to an unfair one strike termination in a use of force case. It ends by stating, that other officers who are not African American have been accused of similar questionable use of force incidents and were never terminated either before or since Shepard's incident. <laughs> the argument is fascinating, <laughs> okay? This guy is basically admitting in a lawsuit what he did was wrong. And he claims, well, you know, um, I wasn't trained properly, uh, I wasn't supervised properly. It's in the lawsuit. And uh, other cops have done just as many wrong things as, as I did, but they kept their jobs because they're white and I'm fired because I'm black. Okay, yeah, maybe so, but you should be fired. I'm not saying that your colleagues should not be fired also or arrested for criminal charges. But here's what you do, Mr. Good Guy, since you're now the victim here, Mr. Police Officer. How about you go ahead and snitch on all the other cops that get away with violating citizens in this manner? How about you do that? Don't want to do that, do you? You didn't even name the cops in the lawsuit. You just said there are other police officers. Get the hell up out of here. They've already fired you. What you scared of? You're saying what the issue is? What are you afraid of? Huh? If you're gonna do it, brother, go all the way with it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's reflective of a pervasive sense of entitlement among many police officers around the country. You know, just that we saw it in the Louisville story that we cut that that you covered earlier. It, it a sense that just you know 
one bad moment doesn't make me a bad cop or a bad guy. Well, it's the it's the psychology you're bringing into it and the approach to whether it's a protester or whether it's somebody that you've stopped on the road. You get you have the sense of entitlement that you know one bad act where you break the orbital bone of a of a female and and you shouldn't be fired for that. Well, of course you should be fired for that. Yeah. And as you say, why don't you just air out where the other dysfunction is in the department rather than trying to make excuses for yourself? Yeah, very well said. There's an Alabama cop who has a lengthy criminal background, okay? Uh, this is a highlight in white privilege. Let's put up his picture. James Sebastian Bo Seville. They call him Bo. He's a Brookside, Alabama cop, has a troubled record, has now resigned after a sexual harassment claim along with other incidents of misconduct. This is deep. A manager at a local Dave and Busters in Hoover, Alabama called the police on Bo, the police officer. He was drunk and disorderly and harassed a married couple. That's according to the Hoover police offense report. In fact, the woman, her name is redacted in the report, told police she turned around with him and hit him, excuse me, after Savelle snuck up behind her and grabbed her buttocks. The cop pulled out a Brookside Police Department badge before Hoover officers arrived. According to the report that cited witnesses and the presence of cameras, he waved it around the restaurant in front of customers and staff trying to insert his privilege as being able to break the law. The police won't do anything, the cop said. Because I am a police officer. But over a month after the incident, Bo on Monday resigned from the Brookside Department hours after AL.com asked city officials about his past. The town announced his departure in a statement, but would not comment further. Now, remember, they knew about the incident. There's more to it, by the way. He was still employed only until a popular Alabama publication started asking questions. Now you have to resign because they were willing to protect him even though they knew this guy was bad news. Bo, the cop, was 32 at the time of the Hoover arrest and was shown to have previous arrests for, here it is, public intoxication, DUI, public lewdness, as well as multiple drug charges. Yeah. He the police. The charges include possession of marijuana, drug paraphernalia. According to state records, Hoover, a Hoover officer wrote that Bo had his Brookside badge and a gun in his pocket, though he initially lied about being armed when asked by officers. So they arrested him. The Hoover police arrested Bo for public intoxication and two counts of harassment that night, saying he was intoxicated to the point of being a danger to himself and to others. The woman told police she did not wish to press charges, all right? Kimberly Hudgens was a female dispatcher at the Brookside Police 
and colleague of Savelle who was upset about the incident as well. But Savelle would not be fired. He served a month suspension with pay in wake of news coverage about the arrest. He returned to his job as second in command with consent of the entire damn city council. It ultimately became the reason that Miss Kimberly left her job. Some of the charges he has faced predate his hiring at Brookside Police. In January of 2014, Bo, the officer, was arrested in Shelby County. That's another nearby county, south of Birmingham, which includes Helena. On charges of what? Public intoxication, possession of marijuana, possession of drug paraphernalia. Court records show the charges against Bo were misdemeanors, meaning that he wouldn't necessarily be disqualified from being a certified cop, even if he had been convicted. Wow. All right, let me ask you this, brother. Do you have a problem with me saying white privilege? Uh, I was just gonna say, we've all heard the expression, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. I think we should change that to privilege corrupts. And white privilege. absolute privilege and, and an absolute white privilege yeah. corrupts absolutely. Yeah, all but, right. You know, it's not just white privilege, it's cop privilege too. Yeah, well, when you it's know? combined with white privilege, it's a whole different situation. There you go. All right, all right, we'll agree on that, brother. Okay, glad glad you came to the came to the light on that one. All right, <laughs> um, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene is down for somebody bombing the White House, maybe the Capitol. Uh, here it is. Protect America. That's what we want. I mean, if I had it my way, I'd build a wall around America and tell everybody else to leave us alone. That would be my personal preference. I always do is build a wall back around a lot house and a lot of gloves Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, I agree. Y'all just come to work with me next week. I think they should listen to you guys. Dynamite, yes, 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 that's, that's funny, that's, that's hilarious. Blow up people, kill them in DC, yes, funny. Marjorie Taylor Greene, US Congresswoman out of the state of Georgia, laughed and affirmed a man at her town hall who suggested building a wall around the White House and locking Nancy Pelosi inside. <laughs> He's going to be sorely disappointed when he realizes that's not where Nancy Pelosi is. Green then laughed when the man said he wishes he could bring dynamite to her job at the Capitol building. Yeah, all right. You know, this is a far, far cry from how it used to be. Here it is. I gotta ask you a question. I do not believe in, I can't trust Obama. I, I have read about him, and he's not, he's not, he's a, um, he's an Arab. He is not. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. He's a, he's a, he's a decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on, on fundamental issues. And that's what this campaign is all about. He's not. Thank you. The late McCain said it best. 
right? We may never return to that kind of civility and politics in our lifetime, but we can damn sure fight for it. Brother, what are your thoughts? I think we should start calling people we call Karens Marjories. <laughs> that may fly, <laughs> brother. That may fly. <laughs> Worth the shot. Worth the shot. Yeah. yeah no. I. I mean, she. Another. Another. Another human being like Madison Cawthorn created in the yeah. Trump test tube. Um. You know. And. You know. If we don't wake up, they're going to be running the Congress in January of 2023. Yeah. And you know, honestly, brother, they they already are in a way, right? They are the number one fundraisers for the party. Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Matt Gates. Uh, they are influencing. Oh, they're definitely they're definitely running the Republican Party. Yeah, but 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 you know when Kevin McCarthy or Jim Jordan or whoever it is takes if if they take the gavel and they're the speakers of the House, they're gonna they're gonna uh, you know release the Kraken on yep. progressives. Yeah. All right, brother. It has been a pleasure having you on the show. Tell people how they can follow you. Check out your great work. Yeah, they can come to crimestory.com or subscribe to Jury Duty Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and it's an amazing program. All right, I encourage everybody to check it out. It is hella addict, addictive. All right, reminder, Twitchuation Room is next. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.